0: Uh, some of you have met my family members over the years. I have uh, three siblings, an older sister, and then two younger brothers. My one brother that's a year younger than me, his name is Nate. And Nate, if you have ever met him or talked with him, and particularly if you ask him about certain things, he loves to tell everybody how he stayed out of trouble in high school compared to me. He's a year younger than me. So he said, he, he would tell you he stayed out of trouble because he watched the dumb things I did and he just didn't repeat those. He watched the punishment that I got and he didn't want to walk in that same path. And so he thanks me for paving the way of his good high school experience. For instance, in high school, my brother learned this rule. So I'll say this too, I was like a rule creator. I kept doing things that my family thought, why would anybody do that? And let us now institute a rule for all the kids. So he learned this rule. When you are tasked to watch your five-year-old brother and his little friends at a playground, and then you leave them in order to go to a dance party about 50 yards away with your friends, then you will be severely punished. Like, that was a new rule and, and principle that he learned uh, that has a whole story of what I did. And, and, and it, was, it was ironic about even that example that came to mind this week is how I, my, my oldest, he's about to turn five, and the thought of leaving him, like if I had a teenager and I was like, all right, watch Ro and the, all, the, all the kids at the playground. And if that kid left to go to the party, I'm like, what are you thinking? These are little children. You can't just leave them. That made sense to me as a teenager, right? Because when you're a teen, sometimes things like that make sense. So just to get a gauge of, of who is in the room here, I'm curious how many are like me and how many might be like my brother. So how many of you are like me and rules were created after your mistakes for the rest of your family or friends, maybe your workplace yeah, or your school? How many of you are like my brother you learn from others' mistakes? Okay, that's good. Since that's like the majority here, uh, you, you, may, you may really feel this story, uh, but for all of us, what we see in today's s- passage in Daniel chapter 5, this overarching principle of have you learned your lesson or are you about to learn the lesson? Have you learned from the model and the instruction and the life of somebody before you, or are you stubborn and you're about to learn this firsthand in your own experience and suffered the consequences of that? This story is one of those fantastic ones, just like we've seen in the other chapters in which there are several little Uh, lessons along the way, but the big story definitely relates to, you know, are you a blockhead or are you going to respond to the uh, obvious model set before you and to walk into that? Okay, so Daniel chapter 5, if you have your Bibles open there, it starts off with this new king named Belshazzar, Uh, That's different than the other chapters, which was Nebuchadnezzar. So we got a new guy on the scene here, and it says this. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought. And the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels and had, uh, that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. All right, let me pause there for a moment. We have to unpack what's happening here. They're having this party, and they are celebrating and then Belshazzar gets this great idea. Hey, let's get all those instruments, you know, the, 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 the cups and all the stuff that were used, the goblets that were used in the temple of the Jews. Let's get those out of storage and use those to celebrate and just have our whole like party with those things. Well, that crossed the line. Now, before we get into that moment, I do want to read a, a parallel psalm that is so interesting when it comes to what we just read here in Daniel 4, because, or 5, um, because verse 4 mentions how they drank wine and they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And with that, if you're unfamiliar, Psalm 135 has a parallel Passage. And listen to this. It says, it, first off, it, it praises God, and then it talks about these idols. So the praise is, Your name, Lord, endures forever. Your renown, Lord, throughout all generations. Verse 14 says, For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. And then it shifts. It says, the, the idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak. They have eyes, but can't see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Nor is their breath in their mouths those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. I read that for us because not much has changed today compared to even this time in Daniel 5. We may not have a little statue, although some countries do, but we still bow down to or look to for security or to push out fear or to find provision in all these things that are not God himself. We do that same stuff today, even though Uh, It may be, it may feel sort of disconnected. And those things that we turn to, they have mouths maybe, and they don't speak. They have ears, they don't hear. But our God, he is alive. He is there. He is present and he works. So these folks, they're just consumed by all all this. They have this party going on. And then they take that which was set apart for God's worship. And they do the repulsive act of defiling it. Now, on one hand, you might be looking and go, listen, this is just a party. Now it's getting totally out of hand, uh, but there are far more repulsive acts maybe if you were to have a spectrum. But what we see from this is how serious God takes that which was set apart for his work. That which God called holy, they began to use in an unholy way. And that is a principle that we must look to ourselves. Because I can look at Belshazzar and say, what are you doing, man? You can't take... God's stuff and then use it in this unholy way. I can look at a nation. I can look at our own nation. Hey, you can't take that which was set apart and, uh, and begin to set up elements of defilement. I can look at other, um, other people and look at how they have defiled. You know, the, the challenges with this passage is to remind myself of how me uh, or my family or you are prone to defile that which God declares holy in our own lives. And so let's talk through this a little bit before we just, you know, point fingers at Belshazzar for acting. I mean, this kid, uh, this, this guy, if this was portrayed in a movie, the, oh, I don't even know of a good actor. I probably wouldn't name him anyway. That might sound a little wrong. But, like, it's the kind of actor, like, the, the kind of person who's just been handed an amazing kingdom. Uh, he's kind of co, co-king with another guy who's... who's who's um, actually doing a lot of the work. And this kid's just like living the dream, living it up and having all this stuff. And so here he is acting this way. Well, when it comes to us, we tend to defile with idolatry and corruption things that God has declared holy. For instance, our own marriage. That is a holy and sacred thing before the Lord. But we can defile that with uh, forms of adultery, like physical adultery, emotional um, pornography, digital sort of stuff, you can, you, we can defile that. Listen to Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. So, so marriage is one thing. I would say children, they are set apart for God's work that they are created by the Lord. And so Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. You could say that any sort of skill or gifting the Lord has given you, if you begin to use that in an unholy way, you are defiling something that God has given you as a sacred opportunity. Uh, for instance, I think about, uh, for myself at least on this, with, with writing, I really enjoy writing. I'm a little bit of a wordsmith on that stuff. And the Lord has challenged me not to engage in just troll people uh, online because uh, it is not using what he has given me in a way that honors him. Now, some of you are like, well, you just don't troll because that's not loving or compassionate. I'm like, yeah, yeah, those are true. In my case, it's a little more specific of like the pen is mightier than the sword dynamic and how the Lord has given me this like gifting and writing and in speaking and like, in communicating and to use that in a way that honors him and not just shred people who have really weak arguments, right? Like that's just a challenge for me in a lot of things. Uh, It could be a job. You can defile something if the Lord um, has given you this like wonderful opportunity. And then for instance, I would say it's a form of defilement and like you take it and it's awesome. And then all you're doing is looking over your shoulder at the next thing. It's like, you know what? Enjoy God. You, You came to me or you came in your Bible study, your small group, and you're like, Guys, pray that I get a new job. And then you get that job. And like a week later, you're like, no, I want a different job. And you're like, you know what? We all begged the Lord to give you that job and just stick in it a little bit. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, maybe it's that. Um, think about this when it comes to defilement too. This is a great verse, but I don't really know how it applies, but I do want to say it. Mark 7, Jesus is, is talking. Uh, people are, are challenging him on what they're eating. And uh, and they're like, look, you're defiling yourself with what you're putting in your mouth. And Jesus responds this, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. And along these lines, we have two other, well, one other. First Corinthians 3.17 says, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So there's that sort of dynamic of even and just uh, who we are as, as people, what comes out of us is, is according to Jesus. is That's what defiles us far more than just, you know, eating McDonald's and stuff like that. And, and lastly, another area that we can defile that applies to all of us regards church or, and, and or worship. And so uh, the Lord's given us the, the beautiful, wonderful gift and expression to be able to worship. And yet we can defile that by... Uh, well, a whole mixed bag. Uh, the Old Testament example would be God actually give them the Ten Commandments. This is how you worship me is like what those t- express. And they still were like, you know, I'm just going to go covet. Uh, I'm going to go lie and, uh, and all that stuff. And there's that sort of breaking the standard that God's given us. For us today, you know, New Covenant, we kind of think about things a little different. I would say um, you can defile the beautiful act of worship if you are... Uh, rolling in super judgmental. Uh, if you're thinking more about other people than God himself, you know, if you're worshiping maybe yourself um, or, and not God, you know, the whole point of worship is to extol and praise God. And so you can defile something like that, even along those lines in the bigger picture of church itself. God can set apart a people, whether that's a local church like us or, or you know, uh, yeah, just take us as an example, local church. God has set this congregation apart provided strengthened and yet we can roll in and if we are not alert as Peter writes 1 Peter 5 and all these other passages and if we are not intentional you can just destroy like the congregation itself and kind of like things become corrupt and messy and toxic and, and all that stuff And you can, in a a sense, defile what God has set apart and declared holy. So that's a whole thing. I don't want to keep going because that will become the entire message. And we have a whole story to talk through. But let us just not look at Belshazzar and say, you know, why would you defile this, like, this goblet set apart for God? And it's like, well, we do the same thing. We just don't like to admit it. So let's continue. Verse 5. This is crazy. This This is the situation where you get that phrase, the writing on the wall. Verse five, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared. (laughs) All right, this is strange, but hey, we're going to read it. And wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. Well, that's good detail. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. Yeah, no kidding. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Again, this is like kind of like a... I think any king would respond this way, and any, any strong, mighty king. But this guy's a giant weenie. Like, he's not really um, what we would be, like, look at, like, a respectful king, just in light of how he's acting. That's the reputation, but we're only working off of one chapter, so there's not too much to look at. Uh, I have a picture for you as an artist's portrayal of this event. Let's just check, see if it's coming up here. Here we go. Look at that. A hand on the wall. So you have this, like, hand, finger, start to write this, in, this, this thing on the wall. And it's just, this is the only situation like this in Scripture. Uh, and this is one of those moments where God divinely steps in, kind of uh, overrides natural law, you know, and just all of a sudden there's a handwriting on the wall. Okay, let's, I'm not used to seeing that, you know. They're probably thinking, did we drink too much? Or, what is really happening here? Well, it turns out this is a legitimate writing. Well, Verse seven continues the story. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. We see this. If you recall, if you've been reading through Daniel with us, this is a normal practice. They're calling in kind of that council of of people who are the magicians and stuff. You know, those who know the arts and all that. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon... Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Most people would say third ruler. That's evidence as well from history as well as right here that, uh, it, that Belshazzar is also ruling with another guy. And so uh, there's, a, there's a, you know, the, the, the one who can read this becomes third in line. Well, verse 8. Then all the king's wise men came in. But they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. So so it wasn't written in something they're familiar with and all that. Verse 9. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His color changed and his lords were perplexed. Okay, I'm going to pause here for a moment just to unpack something that is like an epidemic in our society, kind of in the world, but definitely in the U.S. And that is... All these people who claim to have knowledge, and they're just spouting off a bunch of random stuff that doesn't actually make sense and isn't life-giving and isn't true in so many ways. So so you have a handful of guys who are, they are experts, they are specialists, they're very good, and they, they talk about whatever the thing is. All of you in your own areas, whether it's in your own specific family, like you're an expert in your child or in... Um, Because if you've seen them, you know, growing up or in your workplace, you know more about your work than I do and that kind of stuff. And so I defer to you. You are the expert. Tell me about how to do this or that, whatever it is. Well, there's this thing where, like, people who are an expert in one thing, then they get asked questions about, like, a hundred other things on podcasts or in the news or whatever it is. And... um, They give their opinion, and people look at that and go, oh, that's wonderful knowledge. And it's like, no, no, that person has no clue outside of that field that they were talking about, and this is a mess. So it happens a lot in certain podcasts, and I would love to tell you who I'm thinking about, but I'm not going to. And as I look at this, what you see is that these folks, they begin to talk about spirituality. They begin to talk about who God is or about Scripture, about Jesus Christ, and it's hot garbage. It's It's a mess. They have no clue what they're talking about, and yet they are asked and they are uh, they're praised for their opinion, they're quoted and all this stuff. and I cannot stand it. I want to give just mail them bumper stickers that say hashtag# "I eat garbage," right like, because it's true. And, and so along these lines, we now see a contrast you have those who do not know and they're expected to know and then in a moment we 're going to read somebody who does know. So let's continue this. This story. Oh, actually, I I just I don't want to forget. Like the, the, As we just think about like those who spout off stuff that they don't know what they're talking about. You need to guard your minds along those lines. Like just don't take it in over and over and over again because this stuff's not true. I mean, people love to talk about misinformation. Also, like people have a, have no clue when they're talking about scripture and interpreting it in a way that is legitimate. Sound, faithful, orthodox. Uh, they have no clue. They, they love to talk about what the church should be doing. And I always think about the Princess Bride meme, where the guy, like that character who says, uh, you keep using that word, but I don't think you know what that means. And it's like, yeah, you, you really don't know what you're talking about because you're not even, and you don't even have to be a theologian, but they don't, they don't even read the Bible. Anyway, so that said, let's guard what we are listening to. Let's not just dive in with all. Of The modern day astrologer might be saying, but uh, let us look at, you know, what God's word says. So verse 10, I love this section. This is great. The queen. Now this is probably not Belshazzar's wife or one of the concubines or one of the wives. This this might actually be like kind of that picture of the the older queen, the, the matriarch, here she is rolling in. And she says this, because of the words of the king and his lord's came into the banqueting hall, and the queen, wait, the queen, yeah, so because of that, she declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you, or your color change. Dude, I don't know what happened with his face. That's crazy. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because, listen to these words, an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams and to explain riddles and to solve problems. They were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. This is great. This shows how important it is to be a godly, a consistently godly force in your community, whether it's in your family or whether it's in the community at large. When stuff starts to be chaotic, and you know all everything else breaks loose. Who do they turn to? Let's go find Daniel. He'll be able to understand this, interpret this. After they've been living like heathens for whatever they've been doing here, now let's go get the man devoted to God and find out what he has to say about this, particularly because he had this reputation that... um, that he's going to know what's going on. Now, I I, I might say this next week, too. I don't know. We'll see what happens next week. But with this, this is chapter 5. Next week is chapter 6, when Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. It's kind of the most famous story with Daniel. Well, this is just six. That would be, if you include that, that's six chapters, six different stories. And Daniel probably lives till his mid-80s. And so six like defining stories in his life over the course of 80 something years and i'll tell you it's one thing if you have like this really like massive god moment where people are looking to truth they want to have answers and he's you know daniel's able to give that to nebuchadnezzar well then who knows how long has gone decades there's probably been other stories we're not told about in daniel he didn't record them uh there's other moments that are very significant to those who would have known Daniel and been close, maybe even the other friends that were in the fiery furnace. But in this case, I want to challenge us to remember that you may have like a moment where you're called into the king's court to give like a massive testament of who God is. And then you, that may not happen for like 10 more years, maybe 20 more years. And it can be if you're godly and if you're seeking the Lord and if you're like in a, in a culture or a society of like a dumpster fire, you might be thinking like, oh, I guess, I guess nothing more will be used of me. Or I guess, I guess I won't be able to speak to this in my family or in my workplace. Maybe you're in a job and your company's just been like, you know, going a totally different direction could be morally, or it could really just be, you know, regards to how it's operating, and you're thinking, why aren't they asking me? (laughs) They had my help before. We did really good with that, and they should call on me. Well, you know what? It may be some time period. I want to encourage you to be, uh, have a heart of perseverance in that. Press on, continue on, knowing, you know what? Uh, They may never call you back, but they might. And if they do, in like Daniel's case, here he is, an older man, and uh, he is uh, he is called on to speak to this. And if he just bounced or if he walked away from all of this, saying like, well, I guess they're going to do what they're going to do. I'm just going to go hide. I'm going to go be a hermit, whatever it is. No. Instead, he's present. He's able to be called on, and he's able to serve here. So, uh, let's continue. This like this is amazing. I love Daniel. It has so many little stories all within kind of the bigger story. So then Daniel, he is brought in before the king. Verse 13, the king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, right? We would say that's God dwelling within him. But again, this is, this is Belshazzar's, his language, his perspective on how he's understanding that. And it says, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. I don't even mean to keep pausing, but let that sort of statement be said about us, that understanding and excellent wisdom and light, you know, the light of the Lord be found in us. I mean, if that that was your reputation within your workplace or your your community, how how powerful that would be. Yes, some people wouldn't like it. Some people would push it away. But in these moments of great uh, distress, they may call on you, right? So let's continue. Now, the wise men, verse 15, the wise men, the enchanters, they have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of this matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, I love this, this is great. Let your gifts be for yourself. I don't want your stuff, right? Give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. This is, this is great. Older guy coming in. He's walked with God now for decades. He's seen God provide for him. He doesn't need the trinkets from the king. He doesn't need the provision from the king. He doesn't need to be even elevated in some sort of new role. Like, he's already kind of got that steady sort of thing. He's out of that, that young adultness, youthfulness taking whatever might be tossed to him and says like, nah, I don't even need your stuff. I'll interpret this for you. Keep it. Now, what I like about this, just as a, as a side note, is it shows that Daniel is not a con man. Now, we live in a society in which there's all sorts of people that if they were gifted to read signs or to heal people or to do powerful things, particularly kind of like um, spectacular sort of showings, they would try to rake in the billions on that, right? They would have Audiences show, show up in giant stadiums and make everybody pay some sort of thing. They make the whole thing about themselves some sort of charade just to like present what they can do. Daniel keeps the glory on God. He doesn't want to take it for himself. He doesn't even want to take the rewards. He does, he kind of want, just, he plays like under the radar on this stuff so nonchalantly. And it's a great challenge for us. Not that I know of anyone in here who's like a, like a magician, but like just in general, let us not be the kind of people who, uh, if he given a platform, all of a sudden you like make it about yourself. How silly. So Daniel's a great example on this. Verse 18 can, continues the story. This is much lengthier and I'm going to read it all. It says, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples and nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. They're talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. Wait, is that about the king? It might be about God. I don't know. Let me keep going. I don't But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, so that, yeah, it was about the king. So when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down to, the kingly, to his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. We read about this in chapter four, which was two weeks ago. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until, that's key, that's what I underline in my Bible, Bible, until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And knew his son, Belshazzar, Well, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. You have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. So so Daniel throws down right in front of the king. And um, there's a little more to this, but let me just let me just uh, p- pause here to talk through this. That phrase, until, I underline that, and I, and I talk about this because it shows there's purpose in the discipline. It wasn't reckless punishment, but it was intended to get the king's attention that we read about. And now we recognize that Belshazzar, he is under the same sort of discipline. However, in this case, he knows better. He knows the story of Nebuchadnezzar. He should have responded differently, but he didn't respond differently. God holds him to sort of a, a, a higher standard. Listen to this quote by Eugene Carpenter and his commentary on Daniel. I really like this. We have it on the screen. It says, the lessons that Belshazzar should have learned by God's historical treatment of Nebuchadnezzar should have been or should have become powerful shapers of his own character and reign. God intended Nebuchadnezzar's history to be didactic, but Belshazzar had missed the lessons entirely, not because he did not have them, but because he did not seek after righteousness. And if you recall, Nebuchadnezzar was challenged to seek after righteousness. And so um, Belshazzar has this example He knew how, uh, he he knew of Nebuchadnezzar's reign and the the high he was in and then he was dropped low and then he humbled himself and he was uh, brought back into a place of prominence. Yet Belshazzar ignored this. Let's continue with the interpretation of the writing on the wall. Verse 24 says, Then from his presence the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Uh, mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Uh, Prez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Okay, so this is the interpretation of what that is. It, it is one thing for the king to have a party. Kings have parties all the time. It's another thing to defile the treasured instruments that God would have had in his temple, those items. The king crossed the line. He was guilty. And the punishment was imminent. There was no way out. While this is going down, there was actually the enemy that was uh, working their way into the kingdom to take it over. As I think about, and we'll read about that ending here just in a moment, and that's how it wraps up. But as I think about the, the imminent punishment that was going down, like Belshazzar, you have crossed the line, the, 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 the uh, scales have been weighed, and you've been found guilty. You know, for us, it reminds us today, thousands of years later, that we are all in a position where there is a spiritual imminent punishment for those outside of Jesus Christ. And that punishment is often described as hell, but you could even just say it's a a blend of things from saying the wrath of God, um, separation from God forever. Um, Jesus uses phrases about hell using the words like um, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is this punishment that is due and it is a demonstration that we all stand guilty. And there is only salvation found in Jesus Christ. I want you to hear these verses out of Romans 3. It's a wonderful chapter. And verse 10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And when you skip a little further into verse 23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So outside of our belief in Jesus and outside of his atonement for us, this atoning protection, we are like King Belshazzar. Outside of him, our eternal punishment is clearly written for us as if it was written on a wall. But in our case, it's not on a wall. It's actually in scripture, and it's and it's uh, in our case today. You know, it's written in English if that's the language you speak. And here we can read for us the account. This is what will happen. How will we respond? In the case of the king, he is told this is what will happen, and in his case, it was it was too late to do anything differently. Well, uh, when I read this as a kid for the very first time, I remember thinking, surely Belshazzar's response is going to be wow, well, I repent now. Like, I want to respond in a way that uh, is going to be, like, maybe I can change what's already going to happen. But he doesn't, he kind of just moves on. So verse 29 says, Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, and a chain of gold was put around his neck, right, Mr. T style, and then a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Well, that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede, received the kingdom being about 62 years old and that's how this chapter ends with this sort of story we are we are challenged uh, just to circle back around and all this kind of stuff Daniel he was given this prophetic voice across multiple political administrations from Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar and now we read well now Darius is in charge and uh, we'll see what happens next week with all that And in all of these moments where he's brought before the king, he points people back to God's truth, God's word, who God is, God's glory. He spoke it and he lived it regardless of the beliefs in the room, regardless if he he was the only voice piece for that which was truth, uh, regardless of the punishment that was often given to him. Um, so, you know, sometimes he stood up for his faith and he was punished, like we'll read about next week. Sometimes he stands up for his faith and in this case he's rewarded. And he's been able to speak on behalf of God's truth. And <clears throat> it leads us all to, to circle back from what we started off with, which is this. Have you learned your lesson or are you about to? Or another way of saying this is God trying to get your attention. Is there something in your life that you need to be learning of and learning now before it's too late? Sometimes this comes in the example of like an older sibling, like with my brother. And other times it can be, um, you know, um, a, a good friend, it, like somebody you actually know and you've seen their missteps and you need to be watchful of those missteps and not do the same thing. Um, I had an example, I think of several family members of mine in light of um, just their, their background, uh, because of alcoholism with some of their Fathers, like I think of my in laws in different ways, they've chosen not to drink because they just don't want to do that same thing that happened with their family, right? Um, and whether it's that or several other examples, we need to learn from others' mistakes. And if we do not, we ourselves will learn that firsthand. And friends, whenever we learn those mistakes firsthand, it is tragic. When it's our children, and you're like, okay, well, you lose a toy. Or you get grounded. Oh, boo-hoo, grounded for a week. Well, as adults, consequences are far worse, aren't they? And it's not only worse, it's messy, it's expensive, it's time-consuming, and far more, it's tragic for everybody involved. And so God has filled Scripture with accounts of how to live. Um, multiple times with mistakes, time and time again. We're, we're in Daniel. Daniel's a pretty good straight arrow, but you know, some of these other guys, they are knuckleheads. And you read their examples and we must learn from their examples on how not to act, how not to live. And if you're, if you're asking, well, how do I just like strengthen this capacity to be, to live right? Like with a humble mind, when I see an example, i think I don't want to walk in that. How do you want to strengthen that? Well, one is reading scripture, but specifically, I want to challenge you to read the book of Proverbs on a regular basis. Read one Proverb, like one chapter, maybe literally one proverb, but at least you know one chapter a day or so, and begin to strengthen this mindset of wisdom and how to act. When you start to see these comparisons comparisons of the foolish man walks this way, and then the wise man walks this way, and you make that a regular diet for yourself, it really does strengthen your capacity to trust God at his word and to walk in a way that you do know is right. And the Holy Spirit confirms that or even leads you in that. And you know that's right. And it strengthens you in that way. Otherwise, you're kind of on your own. You're going to make a lot of mistakes and you're going to find yourself acting a lot like Belshazzar, who's just uh, a nut and ends up losing the entire kingdom. I and mean, the, entire, the entire kingdom of Babylon, what we learn from historical, historical accounts is they, uh, the enemy, they, they uh, kind of diverted the Euphrates River that was going into the kingdom and they diverted some of it, dropped it some, and then walked into the river underneath the giant walls and uh, just took over the kingdom right from there. That's a whole other sermon. I bet David, I bet you preached on that or something. Like The whole idea of this, the enemy coming in, you know, unbeknownst to you and you've let them in and you weren't paying attention, but we're going to end with that. Uh, if we were another kind of church, we would all get lunch and then come back, you know, and have another round too. We'll <laughs> talk about that or a Sunday night church. We're not that kind, but that's when that would come in handy. Uh, all right. With that said, I feel like that's a lot. And, um, I'd like to just conclude this with good worship. So, Matt, you and you and Doug—I like that it's you and Doug today. Heavy bass today. That's really good. <laughs> oh, let's uh, let's conclude with some worship here. And would you stand with me as we as we pray and we take this to the Lord?